we are going to talk about the power of Pentecost. But I had this thought, um, you know, there's so much that we could talk about, teach about when it comes to Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And I think there's a lot of misconceptions and and uh, but that's with a lot of things in the scripture. Um, but I had this, I was thinking about, you know, when I think about uh, the Holy Spirit, I always, I always think about Paul's letter to the Corinthians where in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this letter and he's really writing this letter to, to bring correction to the church because it's, things have gotten out of hand and they were using the gifts of God in the wrong way and for the wrong purposes. And so Paul writes this letter really dealing with these things, bringing correction. And he, he talks about the gifts specifically in chapter 12. And then he moves right into chapter 13 and he talks about love. And he says, though I speak with the tongues of, of, of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a sounding gong and a clanging cymbal. Uh, though I have faith to move mountains, if I don't have love, I'm nothing. And I always like to point out there that Paul is contrasting gifts with fruit. And I believe that the fruit of the Spirit is really the true measure. So I was thinking about this today as we were singing. And I thought about Moses. Now think about this. God took a dead stick, a staff, Moses' staff, the staff of Moses, his shepherd's rod, if you will, God took a dead stick or a dead branch and he did the miraculous with it. So God can do miracles through dead branches, but he only grows fruit through living ones. Do you hear me, church? God can do miracles through dead branches, but he only grows fruit through living ones. So the fruit of the Spirit is the true evidence and measure of a Spirit-filled life. And I like what Caleb said when we were talking, uh, as we were getting ready to come to the table and take communion, that God's not looking at a snapshot. We can all look at snapshots of our life, and, and it might not be a very good picture. But over the course of your life, there has to be fruit. And that fruit really is the measure of a spirit-filled life. So with that, let's go to the second chapter of Acts. And um, <clears throat> I'm going to read Acts chapter 2. We're going to read it in its entirety. So um, open your Bible and follow along. Acts chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a right, of right. I'm sorry. There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. 
And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygria and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others, mocking, said, They are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, Let this be known to you, and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death whom God raised up and having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he, had, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You now have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of, of the Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. 
For seeing this, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make my enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers, then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Amen. So we have there in Acts chapter 2 the account of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon those disciples gathered in the upper room. And from that, we see Peter preach this message. God add 3,000 souls to the church, and then they steadfastly continued the scripture teaches us in the apostles' doctrine and prayer and the breaking of bread, going house to house, worshiping God, praising God, having favor, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, before we get to Acts chapter 2, we read last week, remember Acts chapter 1, where Jesus commands these disciples it's recorded for us in the fourth verse of Acts chapter 1, and being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then in verse 8, Jesus says this to his disciples, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then when the day of Pentecost had fully come, what happened? God poured out his Spirit on those assembled disciples in the upper room. Peter preaches a message, and the Scripture says that it cuts those men who heard the gospel preached by Peter. It cut them to the heart. And they said, what must we do to be saved? And he said, repent 
In other words, believe on the name of Jesus. Be baptized, be identified with him, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the 120 or so disciples of Jesus assembled and waiting in that upper room in Jerusalem. And with that pouring out, Christ gloriously adorned his bride, the church. I want you to understand this. Remember when we, as we are going through the book of Genesis and we looked at Abraham who sent Isaac to get a bride for his son, uh, he said, Abraham sent his servant to get a bride for his son, Isaac. And then we see Jacob leaves and he goes to his uncle's house and he finds a bride and he brings a bride back to his father's house. The servant brings a bride back to Abraham, the father of Isaac. And we see these are pictures of Christ whom the father sent to do what? To take a bride for himself. Guess who that bride is? You are that bride. The church is the bride. This is why last week we talked about Pentecost in the context of not just your personal individual faith, but at Pentecost, the pouring out of the Spirit spoke of the assembling of God's church, the assembling of God's people. God poured His Spirit out on an assembly of believers because God put His stamp of approval on the church. He put His stamp of approval on this assembly of believers here today, and we are to faithfully assemble together. This is what Jesus commands. It's what the Word commands. This is what Pentecost signifies. It signifies that Christ has gloriously adorned His bride. So the promise and the power of the Spirit applies today as much as it did then to those disciples. So in, in chapter one of Acts, when Jesus is saying to them, go to Jerusalem and wait, and you'll be endued with power from on high. And it says that Jesus ascended out of their sight. He was received up into a cloud. And so Jesus spoke those words. His last words to his disciples was to go and wait in Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Father, and you will be endued with power from on high. That promise of power, that promise of the Spirit applies today as much as it did then to those disciples watching Jesus ascend into heaven. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. These powerful words of Jesus convey the power of Pentecost for all the church, the church then, the church now, and the church for all eternity. So the power of Pentecost is the power to break paradigms. It's the power given to the church. And I thought about this, this word paradigm. What is, what's a paradigm? A paradigm is defined as a typical pattern of something or the generally accepted perspective concerning a particular thing. When I was in sales, and I was in sales for many years, much of our sales training dealt with paradigms. This became a kind of a catchphrase um, for, for those of us in the sales world. <clears throat> and, and, and it was used in the context of we need to break our patterns of thinking. We need to break our patterns of the way we look at things, the way we believe. And of course, this was all in the context of how we looked at our customers or how we looked at ourselves or how we approached 
you know, uh, what it, whatever it was we were doing, but, but it applies to every area of our life. I just posted a, a video on my Facebook page. Now, I saw this where this group of welders made a bicycle, and they challenged this engineer to be able to ride this bicycle. And it's just a typical bicycle. The only difference is the handlebars had a had a gear had two gears welded on it so that when the guy trying to ride the bike, when he turned the handlebars to go right, guess what? The wheel would turn and go left. So it was backwards. Well, this engineer's like, I can I can ride that. <clears throat> and he but he couldn't. And the video is this guy trying to ride this bicycle and he, he couldn't do it. It took him eight months to be able to ride this bicycle. And this engineer was saying, you don't realize how complicated, how complex the act of just riding a bicycle is. All the things that your brain has to do to compensate physically for your body to be able to pedal and steer and, and, and keep its balance. And this one little act of, of, of putting a gear on the, the handlebars so that it turned the opposite direction totally throws your mind into, your mind can't comprehend it. And it took this guy eight months to be able to just pedal 10 feet on this bicycle. But he said, after about eight months, he said, it finally just clicked. He said, it's like I literally felt my brain click into gear, so to speak, and I could ride this bike. But guess what happened? After he learned to ride the bike that way, he couldn't ride a regular bike. He had to... Relearn. Now, his little son, who was like six years old or something, it only took him two weeks to be able to master this backwards bicycle. It took that adult man over eight months. What does that tell us? You know, I read a book years ago about emotional intelligence written by a group of doctors from Harvard about how our brain has real neuropathways that are just as real as the trails your dogs make in your yard or the trail that cross your yard going to your mailbox or the, 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 the dirt road that you see where so many cars have driven on. It just makes this pathway, this trail, this path. That's what your brain is like. Uh, every action, every thought, it creates a neural pathway and it's something real in your brain. It's why you are in bondage to certain things. You're in bondage to think certain ways, to act certain ways, to do certain things. Because you've trained your brain. You've literally established a pathway in your brain that causes you to do this. Well, what does that mean, Pastor Jeff? Does that mean we're without hope? Absolutely not. And this is exactly why God poured out his spirit on the day of Pentecost because God knew that we needed transformation, that we needed to be changed, and that only through the power of his spirit could that change really and actually take place. So a paradigm, remember, is a typical pattern, an accepted perspective concerning a particular thing. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to break the paradigms of our old man and our old mind and to be renewed in the newness that we have in Christ. We learn patterns of thinking and behaving. We learn and we form patterns in our mind from what we see, what we hear, what we think, and what we do. 
And all of our actions and thoughts and all of these things translate into patterns of living and thinking that become embedded in our mind, literally embedded in our mind to form our actions. This is what happens when you learn to ride a bicycle. It's why when you learn to ride a normal bicycle, you cannot get on that backward bicycle and ride it. You have to go through months of unlearning and relearning. That's not just true for bicycles, but it applies to every area of your life. You know what most people do? They give up after a few tries. Most people are not going to spend eight months trying to relearn to ride a backward bicycle. And guess what? Many, many, many people give up in trying to renew their mind and relearn a pathway of life, a way of life that is consistent with Jesus Christ and the new nature of the Spirit that He gives us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So God has given us the Holy Spirit with power to overcome those patterns that are part of our old nature and our old man. These patterns may not be obviously evil or bad. I'm not saying everything is obviously evil or bad, but what's also true is that it does not mean that they are inherently godly or good and leading us to fruitfulness in Christ. In other words, the paradigms that define our life and our actions could be hindering us from our surrender in obedience to the will of God and a fuller manifestation of Christ in us. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit to break those paradigms holding us captive and to bring transformational renewal to our lives. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to manifest the life of Christ in us along with the fruit of the Spirit. When we're born again by the power of the Spirit of God, and that is the only way you are born again, you're not born again as an act of your will. You're not born again by the power of your will or by the power of your strength. You're born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way a birth can take place. It's the only way life can be created is by the power of God, by the power of His Spirit. When we're born again by the power of the Spirit, the greatest and the most godless paradigm we are bound to is broken. We are translated from spiritual death in Adam to spiritual life in Christ. We are changed from darkness into light in the Lord. This is what Ephesians 5.8 teaches us. So by grace, through faith in Christ, we are instantly freed from sin and death. But that doesn't mean you know how to ride the bike yet. Guess what? Before a child can ride a bike, they have to be born, right? So just because a child is born doesn't mean they automatically know how to ride the bike. But they've got to be born before they can learn to ride the bike. So in your spiritual birth, by the grace of God, you've been born again. You've been given life, but you still have to learn to ride the bike. So God transforms us spiritually by his grace through faith, apart from any work that we do. But the scripture is clear that there is a salvation to be worked out in our life. 
And the working out of your salvation is the manifestation of Christ, who is your life that is dwelling in you. Are you tracking with me? Or we could say it like this, what goes in must come out. So this is what it means to work out your own salvation. When you are born again, God puts his spirit in you. Otherwise, you can't be born again. God doesn't save you and wait to put his spirit in you. You can't be saved apart from receiving the spirit of God. So when you're born again, you're born again by the Spirit of God, and God has put His Spirit in you. This is something that Pentecost has made possible. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about this as we go along. So through the new birth, Christ dwells in you by the Holy Spirit. The life of the Spirit is in you by grace through faith. It's not of work, so you can't boast about what you did. You can only boast about what God did. And the Spirit and the life of Christ in you is the salvation that is to be worked out with fear and trembling. The Spirit and the life of Christ in you is the salvation that must be worked out of you with fear and trembling. It's God who dwells in you and works in you both to will and to do in you for his good pleasure. This is what Paul writes in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Paul is not saying, now save yourself. Paul is saying, because you are saved, now manifest Christ from yourself, is what he's saying. When the life of Christ, by the Spirit of God, goes in you, it must come out of you in the form of the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit's fruit is the manifestation of the Spirit's life. Apple trees produce apples because there is life in the tree and that life is flowing through that living branch and it ultimately will produce fruit. If the branch is dead, there's not going to be any fruit on the end of that branch because God doesn't grow fruit through dead branches. He can do miracles through dead branches, but he doesn't grow fruit through dead branches. So the fruit of the Spirit is the defining characteristic of Christ. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith or faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are seen in a life conformed to the image of the Son of God as revealed to us in the Word of God and illuminated to us by the Spirit of God. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer And this is a work to God's glory. So when Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, goes in, that's who Christ is. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when Jesus goes into you, when he comes to dwell in you, in salvation, in the new birth, that Jesus that goes in must come out. He must come out and be manifest through our life. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, and it is only 
possible by the power of the Spirit. In other words, this is not accomplished by you. It's accomplished through you, with you, by the power of the Spirit. So the work of the cross does not exclude the outpouring of the Spirit. The work of the cross and the outpouring of the Spirit are linked together. They're all part of the same work. When Jesus went to the cross, there was no question in his mind that he would be resurrected. And when Jesus went to the cross, there was no question in his mind that he would ascend to the Father. And when he ascended to the Father, the Spirit of God would be poured out. This is what we see in John's gospel from in chapters 14 through 17. If you go and you read those chapters in John's gospel, this is exactly what Jesus is telling his disciples. I am going away. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried, but I'm going to be resurrected. And you're going to see me resurrected. I'm going to ascend to the Father. And that's good news because when I ascend to the Father, I'm going to pour out my spirit. And when I pour out my spirit, I'm with you now, but I will be in you then. And you will be in me and we will be together in the Father. This is the hope and the promise Jesus gave not only to his disciples then, but to us. So we see that the promise of the Holy Spirit was bound up in the work of the cross. Jesus was going away as part of his work in the cross, but he was not going to leave his disciples orphans. In fact, he declares, I will come to you. I will not leave you orphans. That's recorded in John 14, 18. And Jesus comforts his disciples and he comforts us by declaring the coming of the Holy Spirit, who is the promise of the Father. And with that promise, we are in Christ and Christ is in us. Listen, let me read to you from John's gospel, chapter 14, verses 16 through 20. He says, Jesus speaking to his disciples about sending the Holy Spirit. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He was with the disciples then. Jesus had the spirit and Jesus was with them and the spirit of God worked in and among and through the disciples. But Jesus describes it this way. Right now, the Spirit is with you, but when I go to the Father and pour him out, he will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And then Jesus carries that theme right on in John 15 when he says, I am the true vine, and you are the branches. Abide in me, and I in you. And he gives us this picture of this exchange of life as a branch abiding in the vine, connected in union and in life together. So the outpouring of the Holy Spirit changes everything. So there was salvation through faith under the old covenant. Don't think those guys weren't saved. Moses was saved. Abraham was saved. 
So we can go to Hebrews chapter 11, and we have the hall of faith. We call it the hall of faith. All these people who under the old covenant experienced salvation. How? Through faith. The same way we experience it today, by grace, through faith. Salvation did not change. The method of salvation didn't change with Jesus coming. It was always by grace, and it was always through faith that we were saved. So there was salvation through faith under the old covenant before the work of the cross and before the Holy Spirit was poured out, but there was not an indwelling presence and fullness of God produced by a union with God in the Spirit. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit made it possible for us to be brought into a union with Christ so intimate that the Bible teaches us that we are now members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones, that we have become one with Christ. This is recorded in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 30 through 32. Any of you that have ever been through premarital counseling with me or marital counseling with me, we talk a lot about this. Because in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul's talking about marriage, but he's talking about marriage in the context of how marriage pictures for us the relationship between Christ and his church. And just like Adam said when he looked at Eve, she is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, the two shall become one. Paul gives us the commentary on that, and he says that's not just about Adam and Eve getting married, that is about Christ and his church. And now because of what Christ has done, because of the work at the cross, because of the outpouring of the Spirit, we are now made one with him. We are now members of his body, of his bone, and of his flesh. Paul calls it a mystery how this picture in the natural mysteriously gives us a picture of this spiritual reality of Christ and his people. And this is exactly what John records for us in these words of Jesus from John chapter 14 that we just read. And he says, at that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. You in me, and I in you. This speaks of the union. He dwells with you and will be in you, the Holy Spirit. You in me, and I in you, the reality of Christ in us, the hope of glory. The Holy Spirit does not just dwell with us. He dwells in us. And that is the result of Jesus ascending to the Father and pouring out the Holy Spirit on all flesh. This is the promise of the Father Jesus spoke of in Luke 24, 49. And it's the promise Peter speaks of in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 and 39 in his sermon on that day of Pentecost. For the promise to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord will call, this promise is to you. Peter says, to your children, and to your children's children. In fact, it's to as many as are far off, as many as the Lord will call. Guess what? Peter, on the day of Pentecost, spoke of us sitting in this room. Because we, though we were afar off in Peter's day, God has called us. And because God has called us, by grace, through faith in Jesus, we have received his Spirit. We are living proof of the promise Peter speaks of in Acts 2, 38 and 39. We're living proof of the promise of the Father Jesus spoke of before his ascension 
recorded in Luke chapter 24, verse 49. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit poured out on the day of Pentecost. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit still active and present today, received by grace through faith. So the writer of Hebrews records that the faithful of the old covenant had a good testimony because of their faith, but they did not receive the promise. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 39 and 40. The writer of Hebrews, speaking of all these, he's talking about Abraham and Moses and Sarah, and he goes through this laundry list of the faithful recorded for us in the scripture. And he says, all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. What is the promise that they did not receive? They received salvation, but they did not receive apart from us the promise of the indwelling spirit that brought the reality of the indwelling Christ in their life. They had the spirit working in their life. They had salvation by faith. They saw Christ by faith, but they did not have the crucified, resurrected, ascended Christ indwelling them by the power of the Holy Spirit. You have that today. By grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you have the crucified, resurrected, ascended, and glorified Christ living in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. The old covenant saints did not have that. They had to wait so that they were not perfected apart from us. They waited, and in due time, God sent forth his Son, and in due time, on the fullness of the day, Pentecost, God poured out his spirit. And I'm telling you what, the world changed. The world changed. They had all of these promises, but they had not received the promise. They had a good testimony, but the writer of Hebrews says they did not receive the promise. They saw that promise afar off by faith, and they had the good testimony of faith in that promise but they did not receive the promise until Christ had come and finished his work, ascended to glory, and poured out his spirit recorded for us here in the book of Acts on that day of Pentecost. So in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Christ is fulfilling his promise to make all things new. This is what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. How did the first creation come about? Who was hovering over the deep? In the very beginnings of the Bible, it says the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. At creation, guess who hovers over the darkness of your heart and causes you to become a new creation? Guess who is hovering over the darkness of your heart and calls light out of your darkness and shines into your heart to reveal to you the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God does that. God has done that. So the outpouring of the Spirit. Through this outpouring, Christ is fulfilling His promise to make all things new. Revelation 21.5 is what Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. 
The Holy Spirit transforms us, empowers us, renews us, and joins us in Christ. I want you to go back and I want you to picture in your mind trying to ride this backward bicycle. The Holy Spirit transforms us from one nature to another, from one glory to another, 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. How are you transformed? You are transformed by the Spirit of the Lord. The greatest, grimmest, darkest, paradigm was broken when God by his spirit caused you to be born again you were born but that's not the end that's just the beginning you still have to learn how to walk you still have to learn how to run you still have to learn how to ride the bike the Holy Spirit empowers us to be witnesses to manifest the life and the fruit of the spirit Acts 1 8 Jesus to his disciples and to us, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. The Spirit empowers us in all kinds of ways. The same way the life that's in a child that empowers a child to learn to walk, to learn to run, the Spirit empowers us to grow up and to mature to grow up into Christ in all things. This is the power of the Spirit. This is how we become witnesses. Our growth, our maturity, our fruitfulness bears witness to the reality of Christ in us, the hope of glory. So the Spirit transforms us. The Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit renews us by breaking the paradigms of the old man, that we have put off and the new man that we put on is renewed in knowledge by the spirit this is what paul writes in colossians and have put off the and have put on the new man who is renewed in the verse preceding that he says you put off the old man lying and all these sinful behaviors and all these sinful actions you put that old man off and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. The new man has to be renewed in knowledge. Just like Noah, when he came off the ark, he had to renew his mind. Can you imagine the paradigm shift Noah had to go through? He lived 600 years in an old creation. He walks off an ark one day, and there's a new world before him. And everything he's learned for 600 years does not exist anymore and he has to now break all of those old paradigms and he has to learn how to live in a new creation that is a picture in the natural of exactly what happens to us spiritually when we're born again god changes us spiritually but he doesn't just reprogram our mind he says no you're going to do that how are you going to do that you're going to do it through hard work How did that guy, go to my Facebook page and watch the video. How did that guy learn to ride that backward bike through a lot of hard work? He fell down a lot. He fell down a lot. And it took him eight months. Was it worth it? I don't know, but I can tell you this for sure. This is worth it. Renewing your mind to the truth of Christ is worth it. 
renewing your mind to the newness that you are now in Christ is absolutely worth it. And you can do it now because God caused you to be born and he even created a bicycle for you to ride on. You didn't do that. God did that. But you're not going to learn to ride the bike just because you want to. You're not going to sit there and look at the bike and say, man, I really wish I could learn to ride that. If I just think about it long enough, I bet I can learn to ride that bike. I bet you can't. You're not going to learn to ride the bike until you get on the bike and you fall down. It's just the way God created the world. We don't like it because it's not convenient for us. We like convenience. We like easy. But it's not always convenient, and it's not always easy. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So the Holy Spirit transforms us. The Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit renews us. Most importantly, the Holy Spirit joins us to Christ in his life and makes us one with him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 16 and 17, Paul writes, Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Spirit, to the Lord, he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. When you are joined to the Lord, the Bible says you become one spirit with him. Or Paul writes it this way, do you not know that you are members of his flesh and of his bone and of his body? This is who you are. This is what the Spirit does when you are born again. He joins you to the life of Christ. The power of Pentecost is the power of the Holy Spirit in the life of every believer today. So that begs the question, how do I receive it? How do I receive the Holy Spirit? Don't make this complicated. Luke 11, verse 13, you ask. Jesus says, will not your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit if you ask? How do you receive the Holy Spirit? You ask. Call upon his name, Acts 2.21, Acts 2.38. Ask him from a heart of faith, and he will give you his Holy Spirit. How do I receive the Holy Spirit? You ask. How do I know I have received the Holy Spirit? You believe. What do I believe? Believe Luke eleven thirteen. Believe Jesus. If you ask your Father in heaven, he will give you the Holy Spirit. Believe that. Yeah, but that sounds too simple. Uh, Why do you want to make things complicated? Believe it. Trust in God's word. Trust in the words of Jesus. Trust. Romans 10, 8 through 13. If you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you shall be saved. If you call upon his name, you will not be put to shame. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those who call upon his name will not be put to shame. Well, what if I 
What if I ask him and he rejects me? No. The Bible says if you ask him, he will not reject you. I think I'll just wait and let God ask me. Well, you're going to be waiting for a long time. Because <laughs> he's not going to ask you. He'll call you. How do you, know, how do you know he's called me, Pastor Jeff? Have you asked him to save you? Have you called upon his name? Because if you called upon his name, that means he called you. Do you love him? That means he loved you first, 1 John 4, 19. You trust in Christ. This is how you know that you've received the Holy Spirit. You trust in Christ. You have faith in the revealed word of God, both living and written. If you're trusting in Jesus today, trust me, you have received the Holy Spirit. How will others know I've received the Holy Spirit? Well, how, how do you receive it? You ask. How do you know you received it? You believe. How do others know that I have received the Holy Spirit? They will see. They will see the love of Christ, John 13, 35. They will see the fruit of the Spirit in our crucified life, Galatians 5, through 24. And they will see our boldness to speak and live His Word, Acts chapter 4, verse 31, and Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Don't forget the boldness. Don't forget the boldness to speak His Word to live out his word. What if they don't like me? Who are you here to serve? First and foremost, Christ. What if it's a lot more popular to to lead people down a path of destruction? Do we just go ahead and lead them down a path of destruction because it's more popular? The more the merrier? No. Jesus said, Broad is the way and the path that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life. Narrow and difficult. That word narrow there in the Greek doesn't just mean uh, it's, it's skinny. It, it carries the connotation that it's difficult. What's Jesus talking about? He's talking about learning to ride the bicycle. Listen, you didn't save yourself. Jesus did the hard work and the heavy lifting of your salvation, but he does not exclude you from the process because he saved you and created you to be a witness for him. That means you have to purpose to walk in the spirit and so not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You've got to get up on the bicycle and ride it. You have to. It's part of the life God created you for. How do I walk in the power of the Holy Spirit? You walk in the Spirit, Galatians 5.16 and 5.25 tell us. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. If you live in the Spirit, then walk in the Spirit. If the Spirit is our life, then let the Spirit be our walk. That's what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 25. It's never a question of whether I have power, but it's always a question of whether I know his power and whether I'm walking in the spirit and in power. So this is kind of like living in a house with electricity, but never turning on the lights and never plugging an appliance in. Just because you never turn on the lights, 
just because you never plug an appliance in and use your electricity doesn't mean you don't have electricity. It just means you're not doing anything with it. You might be saved today, have the Holy Spirit. The fact that your life is not showing us anything might be a snapshot of where you're at right now. But God says over the course of your life, if power is resident in you, then power has got to be manifest through you. In other words, you're either a living branch connected to the vine or you're a dead branch. If you're a living branch, it doesn't mean you produce fruit all the time. You go through seasons like any branch does, but it does mean you will produce fruit sometime. There is a season, there is a time coming when you as a living branch will produce fruit. If you're a dead branch, you're not going to produce any fruit. How do I know whether I'm a living branch in winter or a dead branch? That's a good question. That's one you should really be asking yourself. And one of the ways we know this is that winter is a season that passes. How long has your winter been? It's been pretty long. That doesn't necessarily mean you're a dead branch. But here's another indicator. If that really bothers you, if you're really concerned about how long your winter has been, and it's beginning to bother you that you don't see in your own life the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the life of Christ dwelling in you, if that bothers you, that's a good sign. Because if you're just a dead branch, dead to who God is, dead to His purposes, then that's not even going to bother you. You'll just justify it or laugh it off or do something else. But if it's really working on your heart, if something in you is causing you to be bothered by the fact that you don't see the evidence of fruit in your life that you think you should after reading the Bible and listening to whatever, or, or the Spirit of God just moving on you, that's a good sign. And I would say go with that and get on the bicycle and start learning how to ride. Well, I tried that and I fell down. Well, get up and do it again. Well, I did that and I fell down again. Get up do it again because if you get up and you do it again enough times you'll master the bicycle sooner or later and god knows how long it's going to take you it took that little man's son two weeks it took the father eight months so this isn't about a formula that works the same way for everybody but it is about the spirit and the power of god that works for everybody who will trust in it So as you grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, you will grow in the knowledge and the understanding of the Spirit's power in you. And you will be able to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You will be able to love and to show forth the fruit of the Spirit in the life of Christ. And you will be able to speak God's word with boldness through your words and through your deeds. Not fearing man, but having been set free by the wisdom and the understanding that comes from the fear of the Lord. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. Ask for it. Call upon the name of the Lord and trust that Jesus Christ has received you and that you have received His Spirit. Show His life through your own and do the hard work 
Let me repeat those two words. Hard work of renewing your mind and growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ so that you may know the hope of his calling and the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power in Christ. That's a prayer Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1 recorded in verses 17 through 20. Mark that prayer and pray that prayer over yourself. You're not saved by works, but there is work involved in your salvation. It is the hard work of renewing your mind. It is the hard work of breaking the paradigms of the old man, the old mind, and the old creation. You have become a new creation. You have been given a new nature. You are a new man. You have the mind of Christ. Now you take your old mind conformed to the old world and the old creation and you do the hard work of renewing your old mind to the mind of Christ that you now have by the power of the Spirit, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. So I challenge you to obey God's command and to trust in Jesus, to call upon the name of the Lord if you have not. Maybe you've never done that. The scripture commands you to believe in Jesus. And if you refuse that command, if you rebel against that command, you're not in a good place. If you are trusting in Christ, I challenge you to do the hard work of renewing your mind by destroying the paradigms of your old man and your old mind. I challenge you to get back up no matter how many times you fall and how hard it may be to get back up. This is why God in his grace gave us the Holy Spirit with power so that we could press on toward the goal, not because it is easy, but because it's what God calls us to in Christ. This is not about our convenience. This is not about our comfort. This is about his glory. And by the power of the Spirit, we seek His glory. And we come into the presence of God. And in His presence, we find not only His peace, but we find the fullness of our joy and pleasures forevermore. This is what the psalmist writes in Psalm 16. Verse 11. It's what Peter quotes in Acts chapter 2, verse 28. Let's all stand and let's pray. By the power of the Spirit, we seek His glory. We come into His presence. And in His presence, we find the fullness of joy. Paul affirms right there in Acts, quoting the prophet, Verse 21, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Father, we come to you today in the name of Jesus. There is no other name by which we can come. There is no other name that is acceptable. There's no other name 
that allows us to approach your throne of grace. We ask you to look into our hearts. You know where we are. In every sense of the word, we ask that you would take your holy word and lay open our hearts and expose us to the very depth of our being. Like a good father, chastise us, discipline us, and love us that we would be conformed to the image of your glorious son. And that we would give glory to your name. Deliver us from ourself and from the sinful paradigms we remain trapped in. In your grace, you have given us your spirit. And by the spirit's power, we ask that you would help us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And that you would give us the assurance that it is you who works in us both to will and to do according to your good pleasure. Remind us of your promise that when you begin a good work in us, that you will complete it even until the day of Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that promise is true because you have not withheld anything from us. You did not withhold your son. You did not withhold him even unto death. And you did not withhold your spirit, but freely poured it out on all flesh, regardless of how rich or poor, the color of our skin, the ethnicity. Lord, you poured out your spirit on all flesh. And that gift of grace gives us the assurance you keep your word, you keep your promises. Help us, Lord, to be a people that do not take for granted the power of the Spirit that is resident in us. Help us not revert to our human sinful nature that wants to take the path of least resistance. Give us the grace, God, to get up, to stand up, to get back on our bicycles, to renew our minds and to learn how to walk and run and ride and do all to your glory. Father, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.